Hi, I'm Pastor Jeff, and I'm here with Becky Chenault, Director of Chapel Street Kids, and we want to talk to you about something really important. Powerful moments often come from a simple yes, and today I'm inviting you to say yes. But this yes isn't a simple one. It comes with the great reward of seeing babies here for the first time, that they were created by God, or watching kids hear the story of God's amazing rescue plan, or walking alongside a masterpiece family as we discover together how each person is uniquely created. It's one of my great joys to have a front row seat in what God is doing at Chapel Street Church, and we have more and more kids coming on Sunday mornings and to Adventure Club and Buddy Break. Week in and week out, we welcome new families. Maybe you don't see us in action weekly, but I want you to know that we have an incredible team of people who have said yes to pouring in to our littlest Chapel Streeters. But there's a need for more. We have some crucial roles that need to be filled. Across our four campuses, it takes 307 people to make up our full team of servants. And we don't want you to miss out on what God is doing in the lives of our Chapel Street kids. So I want to invite you, each of you, to answer this call. We need our Chapel Street family to step up. We need 140 more servants, 140 more people to say yes. You know, I've been here almost 25 years, and my grown children grew up in this church. Many of you invested in their lives. And I think back on those days, and I'm profoundly grateful for the impact, the mentoring, the challenging, the encouragement that was provided for them through our kids' ministries. And I think about the kids, as Becky said a moment ago, there's so many new families coming, so many kids coming. We're in desperate need of people like you to make a difference in their lives. You might be thinking that you don't have what that takes, you're not sure if you have the time. I just want to encourage you, we'll provide the training, we'll provide all that you need. All you need is a willing heart uh, to come and make a difference. And God will use you to invest the next generation. Now more than ever, this generation that's growing up in the church needs people, people like you, to invest in them, to care for them, to love them, to teach them about the truth of God's word and God's love through Jesus. So yeah, we'll provide all the training, curriculum, all the resources that, that you need to serve in whatever role that you can fill. In the lobby, we have a display set up with openings that we currently have, and we'd love to help you find a spot that's just right for you. We invite you to say yes. Say yes. So you'll, uh, you'll see our little North Aurora version of that display out there later today. But again, I, you can tell from that video that this is something that's challenging for our whole church family, even across at Kesslinger, which is our largest campus. Uh, and it makes me think of how easy it is for us to believe that serving and loving our kids is more complicated than it really is. Obviously, a lot of people, there's, there's, there's time constraints, there's all kinds of things, but this is kind of a moment for us as a church family and a culture that doesn't always give enough attention to our kids to, to show them that God puts attention on them. So again, I want to thank you, our church family, for the way that you've stepped up. Uh, but keep praying. Keep praying for our whole church family that God would keep this value central to who we are as a church uh, and that he would bless us in it. So, hey, well, uh, we are continuing our faith series. We've just got a couple of more weeks left in it. And um, we are going to be continuing the story of Moses today. Uh, but I, I want to kind of recognize something at the front here. We, uh, it's easy for us to learn about something like faith and to think it's a really great idea, but does it, does it really make a difference in my life? Now, I am sucked in all the time by products that claim that they're going to have some significant impact on my life but then it falls short, right? Like I was the guy who bought out the ab belts. You remember the ab belts where it said you can sit on your couch and watch this TV show 
and it'll whack you out for you. Like you can just sit there. I had one of those. And that, but the, one of the, the worst times for me was I was trying to lose some weight in college. I wanted to get healthy. And someone convinced me, apologies to anyone who has done this or still does this. Someone told me I should do a cleanse. You know, you know what a cleanse is? Well, it, there's various types of cleanses. The type that I was sold, which I don't know why I ever bought this is a good idea, was that if you drink maple syrup and lemon, uh, lemon juice and cayenne pepper all in a mixture, if you do nothing else but that for two weeks, then you will, it'll, it'll clean you out, you'll be great, you'll be doing good. The first problem with that is drinking maple syrup is supposed to help me lose weight. You know, maple syrup's just sugar, you know? So I don't know how I bought that, but I bought in on it. Me and my friend Luke, I remember we, we did this and we didn't eat anything, we were drinking this. You can imagine that it maybe had some serious effects on the inside of our body that made us quit pretty quick. But I remember going into it and I was so convinced, this is it, this is gonna transform my health. And it disappointed me, it let me short. And you know, it, it, would, be, it would be easy to say that it's, it's silly things like that that really define that problem for us. But how many other things of our, in our life do we put our trust in, do we put our faith in that let us down? And maybe one of the reasons you struggle with faith and you struggle with the idea of God is because there's been so many things in your life that you have trusted yourself to, you've put your hope in, you've put your, the bedrock of your life in, and it's let you down in one way or another. Well, today we're looking at a passage that reminds us true biblical faith does not disappoint. It doesn't let you down. Faith isn't, the faith that we're talking about that these men and women believed in in Hebrews 11, it's not about some hopeful promise. It's not about some positive attitude or wishful thinking. This is about the concrete, real, historical work of God in their lives to work freedom for them. See, faith is the conviction, as we've said, that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he said he's gonna do, and it's a conviction that will always deliver. Left off last week with the story of Moses where Moses had left the house of Pharaoh's daughter, that he went out into the wilderness, that he gave up the treasures of Egypt for the treasures of God. That because of the promise of God, he found something of more worth and value. And this week, we're gonna pick up with what happens in the next block of his life. Now, we don't often think about this, but that first week that we covered spanned 80 years of Moses' life. We went really quick, 30-minute sermon, maybe a little bit longer, but 80 years of Moses' life. And this last 40 is gonna be all about God showing him why his faith was truly rooted in something that made a difference. And it's not just gonna be Moses that receives the deliverance of this promise, it's gonna be the entire of the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. Remember that this letter, this Hebrew letter was written in its own day to another group of Hebrews, to Hebrews that had found faith in Christ, but they were struggling, they were facing persecution and hardship, and they were wondering, should we go back? And so maybe no story is as beneficial to them than the story of the Exodus. Because as we'll, we'll read today, and perhaps you've read it before, you know the story of the Exodus is about a group of people who had faced persecution, they'd faced slavery and oppression and injustice, and then they left, and they wondered, should they go back? Is this really the best course of action? Is it a good idea to leave Egypt behind? But Moses, in faith, directs his people's eyes back to the God who is certain, who is sure, 
who delivers on his promises and he leads them through their doubts and their struggles and their questions. So that's what I want you to see this week, that faith will always bring freedom. It brings us freedom from fear, freedom from judgment, and freedom from self-reliance. Here's what faith teaches us. In Hebrews 11, 27 through 30, Moses, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. First thing that we see is that faith will free us from fear. Faith frees us from fear. I'll put this image up real quick for you. This is a roller coaster ride in England called Oblivion, right? Because they always have to give it stupid names like that. I don't know why they do that. Oblivion. And the idea is you kind of go up that hill there, you see on the right, you turn the corner, and then you drop straight down through that pit into total darkness, okay? Now, I first saw this ride when I was like 15, 16 years old. Uh, we went to this place called Alton Towers, which is where the ride is. And. Uh, we see this, we hear about this, and we're like, yes, we got to do Oblivion. Of course we got to do Oblivion. Uh, and so we get in line. There's a long line. It's one of those ones that takes like 45 minutes. Uh, and as we're like inching up the hill, I'm like looking at this from the side, kind of like we are now. And I was like, you know, that doesn't look great. <laughs> and I'm getting closer and closer. And the closer I get to it and the higher that I see that we are, I'm like, why am I doing this? And I feel this fear take hold of me. I'm terrified. Like, how many of you kids in the room, would you ride this thing? Any kids would ride this? Okay, you would do it. You would do it. I decided ultimately to do, not do it. And I made the walk of shame back down that hill, right? Because when you're 15 and 16, people are merciless. I'm walking down there like, you're going back to your mommy? I'm just, it was horrible. That's why I moved to America, to escape the trauma. But, uh, yeah, so I go down, but I... Right, that day, fear was totally in control of me. My fears about what I was looking at, about what I was about to experience, it was running the show for me. Now, it would be easy if we could say the, the worst fear in the world is a roller coaster. That's the worst thing we've got to fear. But that's not true, is it? A lot of us have a lot of fears. And we know that those big fears can consume our attention. They can enslave us. They can make us blind to who God is. But faith can open our eyes. We're told in Hebrews eleven twenty seven by faith Moses left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So the Egyptians had enslaved around a million Hebrew people. They'd settled there when Joseph had come there 400 years prior. They'd multiplied. There's about a million Hebrews now suffering under terrible oppression and injustice. Perhaps some of them had begun to even entirely forget the promise of Abraham altogether. Maybe God didn't see them. But God did see them. He hadn't forgot about his promise. And he announces to Moses he's going to free his people. This is what God speaks to Moses and ultimately Moses shares with the Hebrew people when he comes back to Egypt under God's direction. Exodus 6, 2 through 9 says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. 
I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, and the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And this is the important part. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now notice what specifically God is telling the people here. He is not asking anything from them. He is telling them what he is going to do on their behalf. Since he introduces himself, he says, this is who I am, I'm the God of your ancestors. But even more than that, I'm Yahweh, I am the great I am. I'm gonna be present with you. He says, I'm going to look after you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to pull you out of slavery and oppression. I'm going to keep my promise that I gave to Abraham. I'm going to make sure that this happens for you. And by the way, that's why God is good news and not good advice because the gospel is not about what you do. It's about what he has done for you. But going further, I know that God knows that these people are not just enslaved by a government or a nation. They're enslaved by their fear. They're enslaved by their fear. And we can see that that's true because how do they react? How do they react to this announcement from God? It says they, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, couldn't hear it. They didn't hear it. Now Moses had showed them miracles. When he arrived back into Egypt, he displays to them the same miracles that God told him to show them personally. This is before even any plagues, anything like that but they can't see it. Some of you have a broken spirit and you're crippled by fear. Some of you experience the fear of rejection, of failure, fear of your past and the mistakes that you've made and the people that you've hurt, the things that you've done. Some of you have fear about your future. What's gonna happen? What if this crisis befalls me? What if I get sick? What if someone I love gets sick? What if finances fall apart? fear of suffering, fear of crisis. I think it's fair to say a lot of people in our country now fear about our country itself. We've got people on both sides of the aisle, people from all different worldviews worried. What's gonna happen to our country? What if it goes the wrong direction? What if we don't do the right things? What's gonna happen about the things that are happening right now in our country? There's so much fear and we could spend the rest of the morning labeling fear after fear after fear that control us, that enslave us, fill our mind. that make it hard for us to hear what God is saying. So what do we do? What do we do about that giant mix of fear? Well, we're told that Moses endured by seeing he who is invisible. Moses lost his fear of the king. Remember, this is Moses who ran away because of what he had done. That fear is gone now because he saw him who's invisible. Let me ask you this. If you're watching a scary movie, terrifying movie, What do you instinctively do when something terrifying comes on the screen? You scream, but what do your eyes do? Close your eyes. Ah, I don't want to see that. Right? 
You close your eyes. It's instinctive in us. If we're afraid, even little kids, when they're afraid, they close their eyes and they huddle up, right? Fear makes us close our eyes. That's not just true physically. It's true emotionally, mentally, spiritually. When we're afraid, we shut down. We don't want to look. We don't want to see. And faith is what opens them back up. Faith is, faith is the choice to really look because you believe that there's something good to be seen, even in the most fearful of circumstances. There's something greater than your fear. It's how Moses overcame his fear. And now God is inviting the Hebrews to do the same thing, to look, to see. And he's inviting us to do it. God is inviting us this morning, every day of our lives, to by faith see him who is invisible. But it won't be easy. It won't be some magic moment where we decide this and then all of our fear goes away. And by the way, that's one of the worst things that you can do for someone who's going through fear is to make them feel like they've just got to make some choice and flip some switch and it all goes away. It takes presence and patience and persistence. See, when we read this story, God just doesn't just dump this on them once and say, here's who I am. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. God comes again and again through Moses to the people. Every time they doubt and they fear, Moses comes back and he says, God has told me he's gonna love you. He's gonna care for you. He's gonna provide for you. He persists. God persists with the fearful, enslaved Hebrew people. He's patient with them. He's gentle with them. We should sit quietly and patiently with fearful people and tell them the truth again and again in humility and then tell them again. And if we are the ones who are fearful, I want you to start looking for the goodness of God. To not give in to that instinct and that, that compulsion to close your eyes, but to see. This is how Paul puts it in Philippians. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer and thankfulness is how we open our eyes. It's how we get ourselves to look. And when we do, we'll see our rescuer. But faith also frees us from judgment. It doesn't just free us from fear, it frees us from judgment. Now, I got my, some of my kids in the room today, so I'm gonna be a little careful because I'm gonna tell a story about them. But some of my kids who will remain nameless, when something bad happens, they want mom and dad to come and punish the one who did the wrong thing. But then when they do that wrong thing, they don't want mom and dad to show up, right? You imagine these scenarios, so someone steals a toy, punish them, punish them. But not when I steal a toy, just when he does it, right? Isn't that a trait that's kind of common in us a lot? That we like to make enemies, we like to know, hey, these are the bad guys, these are the enemies, they're the ones that need punishing, but let's not look at me. Let's not look at the things going on in my life. See, the Hebrew people have a problem outside of their slavery. It's easy to read the story of the Exodus and of Moses and say, he's the enemies, he's the good guys, let's get these ones. That's not actually the reality of this situation. There is sin and there is an injustice and there is brokenness in the whole earth. And all of it needs addressing. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. God is going to bring judgment on all of the injustice in Egypt. And that doesn't just mean Pharaoh, that means everyone. 
everyone who lives there. This is what he says in Exodus 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. Just a cool little thing here. You might not realize that all of the plagues of Egypt were God's judgments on the Egyptian gods. They had gods of the river. God turns the river into blood. They had a moon god. He shuts out the moon. God is, is with everything that he's doing in Egypt, he is pronouncing judgment on everything that is broken. Not just the slavery, but their worship, their idolatry, their greed, all of it. God is bringing judgment. But what God says to the Hebrew people, he says, blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So God tells his people, I have a plan for you. Because if I bring justice, because I'm a perfect and holy God, I'm going to have to distribute it equally on everyone. And so that's not gonna end well for you. So I have a rescue plan for you. I want you to take a lamb. I want you to sacrifice that lamb, eat a meal together as a family, and that night put the blood of that lamb on your doorposts. And it will be a sign for you to escape judgment. God sets this standard by which to judge Egypt, not who is moral and who's got a really good record, because that won't end well for anyone, but who is gonna put their trust in him? Who's gonna have faith in him? Now, that, this is not a new system. God's not changing the rules mid-game here. We go back through the stories, all of the ones we looked at. What did he say to Abraham? He said to Abraham that Abraham believed God and that was credited to him as righteousness. Let me remind you of some of the things that Abraham did. Lied about who his wife was so that he wouldn't have to get hurt. That probably would have resulted in some very nasty things for his wife. By the way, he did that a second time. Abraham slept with his hand servants because he thought he had the best idea for how he was gonna make God's promise happen. I mean, I don't wanna to waste too much time on that, but you see very quickly, if God was judging people throughout history based on the ways that they perform and their resume, does that end well for anyone? No. All of us are broken. Romans tells us all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but if we put my closet out right now, if we open the doors, there's some stuff in there I wouldn't want you to see. But God can see it already, and he has a plan for it. And it's a plan of faith. The point is that if we want freedom from judgment from our sin, and the darkness that hides in our heart, we can't trust our good works, we can't trust our resume, we can't trust our bank account, we can't trust how much of the Bible we've memorized. We have to come to trust in God himself. That he has a way to deal with sin. The only thing that you can trust in now is God. That's what God is communicating to the Hebrew people. And by the way, that that is grace. He doesn't, he's not obligated to do this. This is a people that in a lot of ways have forgotten that he even exists. God is not under any compulsion to come and love them and be merciful to them and help them. But God does because that's who he is. He is rich in mercy and grace and love. And he is committed to his people, whether they are committed to him or not. And so he supplies them and supplies them and supplies them with what they need for freedom. It was probably a really strange system to the Hebrews, just as it is to us. We hear the story and we think, well, this is, this is just a weird religious ritual. What, what is this? I think probably there were some families when God asked this about them, they thought, I mean, I've seen the plagues. I saw what happened to that river. I saw what happened when those hailstones came down. I don't think that this is really a great idea. 
And it raises an important question about faith. What is it about faith that saves us? What is it about faith that saves us? Now, I, I need an assistant. I'm going to invite my son, Jonathan. He's going to come help me out. Look at how good looking this guy is. He, he, look, he, he, got, he got all the genes from mom and thankfully none of the ones from dad. So Jonathan's going to help me out today. He's going to help me demonstrate you what it is about faith that saves you. Now, if I tend to Jonathan and I ask you, son, do you believe I could pick you up? Okay, he's smart, okay? He's confident, he believes I can pick him up. Do you, do you believe that I have the strength to pick him up? Yes. Okay, come, come, to, come to me, buddy. Okay, he's harder to pick up now than he used to be. But I got it done, does that whack? I'm pretty good? Okay, now let me put it down for a second. Now, if he didn't believe that I could pick him up, does that all of a sudden make me incapable of making me pick him up? If he had any doubt in his mind, if he, if he was struggling, I think, I don't know, dad looks kind of weak. I don't know if he could pull this off. Does that change my ability to pick him up? Right? All that matters is that when I say, hey, son, can you come? Can I pick you up? That he comes, right? That's all that matters. Not how much confidence he has in me, but is he going to put confidence in me at all? Okay, you can take a seat. Look at how great he is. He should be the preacher. Here's he's what I want to communicate to you. Because sometimes we can fix it on thinking it's the amount of my faith that lets God work in my life. Your faith does not affect the strength in God's hands. Your faith does not decide whether or not God can save you. It is not the strength of your faith, it's the object of your faith. God is strong and able to save. If you put your faith in him, faith as small as a mustard seed, he can save you. He can rescue you. He can redeem you. God is able to save if I acknowledge my need, or when I said to my son, Jonathan, I said, can you come? As long as he comes, no matter how much doubt he has, if I say, come and he comes, that's it. Do you know that God's arms stand wide open to you and he says, come to me? He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. You might not know how he's gonna do that. You might have doubts, you might have questions, but if you come to him, he can do it because it rests not on you, but on him. You think of the two men at Passover, Right? There's two families, they get these instructions, put the blood on your doorposts, and one guy says, yes, this is a great idea. I love this. I love how this is panning out. God is going to show up. He's going to rescue us. And his next door neighbor says, I don't, it just feels weird. Like this, this is how God's going to get this done. But both men, they go out, they've received the instructions, so they put the blood on their doorpost. The angel of death comes. He looks at the doorposts. Which of the two men does he save? Both. Didn't matter that this guy's faith was small. Didn't matter that this guy's faith was strong. What mattered is the blood. The symbol of faith that points towards the worthiness and the capability of God to rescue his people. And that's, we mentioned it a second ago, that's why Jesus says, faith as small as a mustard seed can move this mountain. The challenge we face is not whether we will have faith, it's what do we put our faith in. Don't put it in, um, trusting in the latest self-help book. Don't put your trust and your hope in a political candidate, in a bank account, in a resume. And certainly don't put it in the church or a pastor. Put it in Jesus. Churches and pastors point to the object of our faith. He is the one that saves. He is the one whose strength and might and spirit gets things done. That brings us to the last thing. Faith frees us from self-reliance. 
Last few verses in Hebrews about Moses' life say that by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. The author highlights these incredible events that showed God's power and might to save his people. And he starts with the Red Sea. Great scene in any movie, right? When the seas part. Let me read you how that went down in Exodus. Exodus 14, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Then Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And this is the best part right here. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Now, by God's direct actions, this defenseless bunch of slaves uh, and quite a few more, we've got million plus now heading into the wilderness. They've got an Egyptian army behind them. They've got a sea in front of them that they cannot cross. God put them in that situation. Wouldn't be there if it wasn't for God. And so these people start struggling because all of a sudden they feel like, God, why would you lead me into such a terrible situation? God will intentionally lead you into moments will require you to trust him. He will do it on purpose because faith is better for you than fear and freedom is better than slavery. Faith does not exempt you from painful and difficult circumstances. It qualifies you for them. If we think that walking with God is gonna be this bouquet of roses, we're gonna be deeply disappointed when he leads us into our wilderness and puts us in front of a sea and says, watch me work for you. And we say, no, I'd rather go back. I don't like this. I wanna be in control. I wanna be the one who can decide my destiny. And I want my faith to be in my hands. I don't wanna rely on you. Self-reliance is just as cruel of a master as Egypt. It will enslave you just as fast. But if we have faith like Moses, we'll find freedom. Read that last verse again. What an amazing verse. You have to be silent. I wonder how Moses told the people that. I'd like to think that he was like, shut up. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe God's more gracious than me. I think that he turned tenderly and said, you just have to be silent. Just watch. Watch why it's better to trust in God than yourself. Watch why it's better to let go of your self-reliance. And then what did those Hebrews people see? They saw what you and I perhaps may never see one of the most spectacular moments in human history where God separated a sea in front of them. And that wasn't the end of it. They went into a wilderness and they were hungry and manna, food just rained from the sky. God brought water out of rocks. He led them every day by a pillar of fire. And every day these Hebrew people, these slaves that had been liberated would say, let's just go back. I don't want to rely on the food that rains from the sky. I don't want to rely on the pillar of fire. I don't want to rely and rely. I want to be in control. Do you see how their need for self-reliance was preventing them from seeing? Miracles that you and I would 
die to see, but they were blind to them. You know, self-reliance will exhaust you too. It will exhaust you to the point of desperation. And some, some reason, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, self-reliance has become the religion of our day, even in churches. We say, Jesus saves me, but then after that, I have to make this work. I have to be the one that gets everything right. I have to make sure that this, this goes the way it's supposed to go. I've got to find the wisdom. I've got to find the strength. I've got to push myself through painful situations. I, 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 me, 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 self-reliance. We build our whole Christian life on our own shoulders, and then when it falls apart, we turn at God and say, that's your fault. But you know what God does in those moments? He doesn't get angry with us. He doesn't yell at us. He doesn't turn his back on us. He gently sits down with us in the dust and he teaches us how to have faith, how to trust him, how to see him. Can I give you some bad news? If you could ruin your walk with Christ, you would. But can I give you some good news? If you could ruin your walk, because you can't. It's not in your hands. You don't need to be self-reliant because that's not what saved you in the first place, is it? It was the blood of Christ. It was the love of Christ. Self-reliance will drive you back into slavery. So stop trying to find freedom in your own cleverness and effort or overconfidence. Learn to admit weakness. Come and give up that burden. Look for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrew tells us. Jesus was the object behind Moses' faith. I don't know how much Moses understood that, but he was. At Easter, I, I started drawing these pictures with my kids of things in Easter, and I, I, it was really fun to do. I want to show you one. I'm not a good artist, so don't judge me. But I drew this with my kids at Easter when I was reflecting on a day in Holy Week where it's right before Jesus is arrested. On the Wednesday of that week, we don't know what he did. He went off. We were told that he went and prayed the Mount of Olives. And so I drew this picture and I, I thought maybe what Jesus did on that day is he reflected on everything that had brought him to that moment. And so I drew out these things and I said, you've got Adam and Eve, you've got Abraham looking at the stars, counting his descendants, you've got the Hebrew people painting the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and the birth of Jesus eventually. But you know, what, you know why I did that? Is because what all of us need to learn is the same thing that the author of Hebrews is trying to teach these people. It's the same promise going the whole way through. This is all about the same thing. It was the same for Abraham as it was for Isaac, as for Jacob, as for Joseph, as for Moses. You know what the promise to bless all the nations through the descendants of Abraham was about? Jesus. You know what the blood of the lamb on the doorpost was about? Jesus. Each of these men and women are moving towards the fulfillment of this promise. And God is saying, I want you to trust that there is one coming who will answer all of your ills. Don't look to Egypt. Don't look to riches. Don't look to treasures. Look to the promise because he can set you free. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or atonement by his blood to be received by faith. And this is really interesting. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance had passed over former sins. Do you know what that means? 
It means you, you know what saved the Hebrews on that night when they painted the blood on that door? It wasn't, it wasn't the blood of a lamb. It was the blood of Christ. It was a symbol that points forward to Christ the same way that this symbol points back to him. The payment for them is the same as the payment for me and you. Passover was always about what was coming. It was always about the faithful love of God that had promised that if we trust him, we'll see him put right everything. And that's why in Revelation, the the disciple John records this song. He says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Jesus was the one that led the Hebrews out of Egypt. Jesus is the one that leads you and I out of our Egypt. And Jesus will be the one who ransoms people from every tribe, people, nation, language. This is why faith does not disappoint, because Jesus does not disappoint. Faith is not some product that will let you down. Faith is not some empty promise. It is the conviction of things unseen, the assurance of things hoped for, and it will bring you to the one who can set you free. The one who will free you from fear, from judgment, from self-reliance, so that you can walk hand in hand with the one who made you, loves you, and is faithful to you. I want you to imagine this morning that same scene with me and my son, a father with his arms open saying, come, come to me. I will set you free. The way I think that we should close this morning and the way we we regularly close at at Chapel Street is we're gonna take communion together. So when you came in, you should have received one of these little cups. Uh, If you didn't, just put your hand up and our sisters will come around. Kids, you can do this too if you wanna be a part of this. If you wanna put your hands up, you didn't get one. The only requirement to be a part of this is that you have faith in Christ. When we do this, this is not something that belongs to Chapel Street. We regularly say at our church campuses, this belongs to the Lord. The table of Christ belongs to the Lord. And so anyone who trusts in him, who believes that Jesus can save, can come to this table. And take this symbol, this sign that points us back to Christ the same way that Passover pointed the Hebrews forward. When we take this, it's not saving us, it's not changing us, it's not doing anything. It is something that is helping our mind look towards the one who gave his body and his blood for us. So if you will, take that first layer and peel it off and take out this, uh, this bread from inside. This is a symbol that Jesus gave us on his last night with his disciples where they were eating a Passover meal, coincidentally enough. He said to them, this is my body that's broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Remember him today. same way next he took a cup a cup that they drank every Passover meal and he said this is a symbol too it's a symbol of my blood that will be shed as part of a new covenant a new promise it was once a lamb whose blood that you painted on your doorposts so that you would be freed from God's judgment this is my blood that will set you free let's drink this in remembrance of our saviour Pray together. Father, thank you for this symbol 
God, you are such a good God that so often throughout history has given us signposts towards the object of our faith. Lord, we get distracted, we get fearful and we look at other things. When life gets hard and painful, God, our eyes close, open them up. By your spirit, by your word, by your grace, open our eyes to see you. Even in frightening situations where we stand before an ocean that needs to be separated, when we're in relationships that need to change, when we're stuck in addictions that weigh us down, when we are in bondage to one thing or another, Father, set us free by opening our eyes to see him who is invisible. We look to you, Christ Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we pray in your name.